Thank you all so much for joining us this evening. My name is Emily Manich, and I'm the Communications and Programs Director here at the Catholic Information Center. Tonight, I'm pleased to welcome our speaker, Teresa Tomeo. She's a motivational speaker, best-selling Catholic author, and host of the daily morning radio program, Catholic Connection, produced by Ave Maria Radio, and syndicated on over 230 stations through the EWTN Catholic Radio Network. Teresa is a columnist for the National Catholic Newspaper, Our Sunday Visitor. She appears frequently on EWTN Catholic TV and co-hosts the EWTN program, The Catholic View for Women. Teresa has also served as a presenter and delegate at various Vatican conferences, including the Pontifical Council for the Family and the Pontifical Council for Laity, addressing media issues and the Church's teachings on women. Please help me to welcome Teresa Tomeo. Well, as I used to say when I was in the uh, secular media, we have a small but enthusiastic crowd. Good evening. I'm just going to move this uh, aside here. I'm still thawing out from yesterday, so, so please uh, bear with me. I was doing all the live coverage uh, for EWTN yesterday for the March for Life, and so I was outside starting at about 8 o'clock yesterday morning until about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. So um, I really thought at one point I was just going to freeze in the middle of a live shot because that's how cold it was, and I was going to be a, a living popsicle on the air. But it's good to be here. This is my first time to the Catholic Information Center. I've never been here, so thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm just going to talk briefly about this book. This is my sixth book. Oh, you can't hear me. Okay. Usually, usually people don't have a hard time hearing me. Usually I have to turn the volume down. Is that better? Okay. Uh, there we go. This is, I, th I think, my sixth book. Um, prior to this, I had a book out uh, in 2012 called Wrapped Up, God's Ten Gifts for Women. And then in 2011, it was Extreme Makeover, which is published by Ignatius Press. Um, and it was all about women in the culture. And my first book was Noise, How Our Media-Saturated Culture Dominates Lives and Dismantles Families. So I, I spent a lot of time in the secular media. And when I came over to Catholic media, one of my goals was really to help people understand the culture a little bit better. Because even being in the media, as long as I have for over 30 years now, and having worked in the secular press, uh, it took a toll on me in many ways and it, it takes a toll on society, but the media can still be used for great good. I also have a series of books that I did for, for girls that came out a few years ago called All Things Girl. This particular book, God's Bucket List, the idea originally came from a talk I began giving about 10 years ago called 10 Things I've Learned About Living a Godly Life. And it was just little tips from my grandmother and my mother and things I learned along the way. And I had this list and I developed this, this theme about always focusing on the Lord, keeping God center in your life. Because when I fell away from the faith, it was because obviously I didn't have God in the center of my life. And I was making my own lists in terms of my career and me, myself, and I. And so part of that list was much of what is included in this book but when I sent it to the publisher and Random House approached me to do my first book with them, they didn't like the title too much. They said, let's tweak it a little bit. And I was thinking about all the conversations that we hear among friends and family about bucket lists. Everybody has a bucket list, right? And usually it isn't based on faith issues or our relationship with God. Even among my fellow Christians, it's like, oh, going there is on my bucket list. Doing this is on my bucket list. That thing is on my bucket list. And so it got me thinking in terms of this top 10 uh, talk that I gave a few years ago, that that title, God's Bucket List, Heaven Sure Fire Way to Happiness in This Life and Beyond, is really what it's all about. Now, God obviously doesn't have a bucket list because he doesn't die. 
He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, and, and he's always with us and will be forever. But he has a bucket list for us. And so I started toying with this idea of, well, if God does have a bucket list for us, because he knows each one of us better than we know ourselves, and he knows what we were made for, obviously, to be in relationship with each other and with him. But we all have a specific purpose, mission, vocation that he's outlined for us. And so what would be on that bucket list? So I combined the talk that I, I started out with 10 years ago with some of these other items that I thought would be very important to put on God's bucket list. And that's how the book was born. And it's really, I hope, um, an outreach not only to my fellow Catholics who are continuing to grow in their relationship with God and trying to be uh, true to church teaching, but I'm also really hoping that this book will be an outreach to fallen away Catholics primarily, because I was a fallen away Catholic for many, many years. And, and so I always try to write and speak with my voice, down to earth, that's who I am, you know, someone who came uh, you know, I'm a fallen away Catholic, came back to the church, and, and the Lord has made such a difference in my life and turned my life around, saved my marriage. But I think we have to meet people where, we're, where they're at. And we know that so many Catholics, and I was there at one point, are very poorly catechized. They may be sacramentalized, but they haven't been evangelized. So how do we do that? And so this is what I tried to do in the book. So I came up with eight major topics. Live with stillness. Live your passion live with instruction, live in the mess, live with understanding, live by confession, live the good life, and live like you're loved. And I, I started the book out with live with stillness because if we want to know what God's bucket list is for our lives, we have to still ourselves and quiet ourselves enough to be able to hear from God. And so many people today, and myself included, I still struggle with this because I'm a media person and, and I use media to get my message across. We don't allow for any quiet time, that stillness in order to hear from God. And I'm not just talking about doing amazing things like spending time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, which is huge, and which I also put in the book as something that you know must do. But I'm just talking about turning off the TV, not answering your cell phone, just having quiet in the home so you can settle yourself and have peace and then grow accustomed to that silence so we can start to hear from God even away from church when we don't have time, for example, or if we're not in church for, for a mass or if we're not there for adoration or another uh, activity, we should always be able to settle ourselves and hear what God is trying to say to us because he speaks to us in a variety of ways, at least he does to me. Obviously, he speaks to us in the mass. He speaks to us when he comes to us in the Blessed Sacrament. He speaks to us in scripture. But for me, sometimes he's spoken to me in the middle of the day, through a person maybe, or through something that's happened, through an experience. And I can remember when I was making the decision to leave the, um, the secular press, and I was still at uh, working at the ABC affiliate in Detroit as a reporter, and I came home from work very early one night, which was odd for a general assignment reporter to actually be home in time for dinner. And so I was preparing dinner, but I was going through this, this real tug of war, and I described this in the book, but that if I didn't have quiet at that time, I probably never heard, would have heard that message from God. And when I came back to my faith, I was still working in the media, and I was at a very prominent station, the ABC affiliate in Detroit. And I thought I was going to be this on-fire Catholic, changing the whole newsroom, changing all the Catholics in the newsroom and other Christians and being this, you know, on-fire light in the newsroom. I thought that was now my my vocation within my vocation, my calling within my calling. And it was nice while it lasted, but it didn't last all that long because God had other plans. And I was getting very frustrated 
because right about the time I came back to my faith in the early 90s, that's all of a sudden when I started to notice the many problems that we have with the media. And I'm not just talking about the news media in terms of the way they cover the church and important issues such as life issues. I'm talking about the overall media climate in terms of this over-sexualized culture, the violence, the darkness, all of these things. The sensationalism and the media coverage, it, the if it bleeds, it leads, combined with the other items I mentioned. And all of a sudden, I started to feel very uncomfortable in this business that I had been in my entire life. I mean, I never wanted to do anything else with my life except my only other dream besides being a journalist was being a rockette, and I was too short for that, so I gave that up fairly quickly. So that's not going to work. I'm only 5'5". Five five. You have to be 5'6", so I walked away from that. But I, you know, by the time I was in the third grade, for whatever reason, I knew I was going to be in communications. Maybe perhaps it was because the nuns told me that I had the gift for gab, but who knows. But this is something I'd always done. I was a journalist in high school the first time I was on the radio when I was 14 years old. It's just what I love. It's my element. It's what I love to do. So I, I couldn't understand why God was showing me all of this when he brought me back to the church, places me in this top 10 market, my hometown of Detroit, and this big TV station. I'm doing all these stories. I'm all these big news stories, going to the Oklahoma City bombing and covering John Paul II and, you know, visiting the United States. And yet I'm seeing the downfall of the media. And I, it was a real inner struggle for me that I was all of a sudden unhappy in the place I always felt so at home. So getting back to that experience in my kitchen, I was home making dinner. And it's pretty obvious I'm Italian-American, and we're very dramatic people. Everything is, like, bigger than life. And I'm making this salad, and I'm chopping the cucumbers on the, you know, the, the cutting board. And I'm like, why, why, why are you showing me this now? What is going on? The interesting thing about that night, in addition to being home early, was that there was no TV on, no radio, nothing. It was complete quiet. And so after I, you know, had this uh, Italian moment of mine and my emotion, I got it out of my system, I continued to prepare dinner, and all of a sudden I heard, almost audibly, I can't use you in the secular media anymore. And the voice was seemed so audible that I almost turned around and looked and expected to see our Lord sitting at my kitchen table, because it was that strong. And I can remember thinking, okay, he's trying to tell me something, can you please give me a little bit more information? But he, he doesn't give you the information, all of it all at once. He leads you to the point where you need to be gradually. But I truly believe that if I had not quieted myself after my venting and allowed myself, you know, that, that opportunity just to be, that I would have received that message. And that really was the first step that gradually led me out of the secular media. So I start out the first chapter of the book encouraging people to allow time, quiet time, stillness, even if you can't get away to adoration or a beautiful place like a church or the shrine, the basilica, which is an amazing place that you have here in D.C., just to give yourself time alone with God and stillness. And so that first chapter is, is a real call um, to a lifestyle change for many people. And I, I love to watch people because I travel so much for speaking engagements. And how many of us are aware the minute we land, what's the first thing people do? Turn on their cell phones, they text, or they check their messages. And now, my goodness, they're debating whether they should have cell phones in the air if people can make calls. I'm so jumping off the plane if that happens. That's just going to be so out of control. So live with stillness, I thought, was a real good place to start. Live your passion is all about not hiding your light under a bushel. 
I know a lot of people who don't pursue the vocation to which they're called because of fear, because of the devil that they know is better than the devil they don't know, uh, because of the unknown. But I always, in, in, in this book, and all of my books, I use, I poke fun at myself and I look at my own life because I, I don't come from a standpoint of someone who's lived a perfect life and never sinned, um, you know, never made any major mistakes. And so I always try to tell people I'm not coming from some type of a platform where I'm judging you. This is what I've learned. I've lived with God and I've lived without God. And this is what I've gone through and how I've come to the place where I am right now. And I also know, even though I was very successful in, in the secular media and I thought I was living my passion, I also know what it's like to be fearful, not to really go where God is calling you, and to struggle with that. And so in Live Your Passion, I walk people through my own journey and how I finally had to let go and let God when he called me out of the secular media and I said yes, I walked away from a very high paying news director's position, which was my last job in secular newsrooms in Detroit, uh, my hometown. And I just felt I had to do that. And I think he was just calling me to say, yes, will you walk away from the one thing, the only thing that you know that you can do? Because at that point in my life, when I left 14 years ago, I, the only thing I ever thought I could do was just technically be a news person, a reporter, because that's all I'd ever known. And I said, okay, Lord, there must be something you want me to do. And I felt a desire to speak out about the media and, and to uh, help people deal with the media and to do some media training and things like that. I've been doing a little bit of that here and there. But I felt that he was calling me at that time for a very specific reason. But I struggled with that decision to really discover the full passion, the full life that God wanted me to live. I struggled with that for about two or three years. And I was in a much different situation. I was in actually a better situation financially than most people. My husband and I couldn't have children, so we didn't have children to raise and college educations to think about. Our income took a huge drop because I you know, went from six figures to no figures except for unemployment for a while until my, I got my company up and running and my communications company and um, got back into, into Christian uh, evangelical and then Catholic media. But it was scary. And so in this chapter, I tell people to find and discover your passion it's step by step. God is not going to say, okay, you know, leave your job and you have three kids to raise and you have college education to pay for and you have a mortgage to pay for. But he will call you to something step by step, enable you to do that along the way. And that's what I try to encourage people to do and live their passion because it would have been a lot easier for me to stay in the business in terms of just earning a paycheck, but I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable to the end of my news career. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I, I can somehow make this work because I know what I know what I know. I can do a newscast, you know, practically asleep because I've been doing it for so long. And it's literally very easy just to go in and do the actual functions of a news person for me because that's how I've trained and I've done it for so long. But I was bored, I was frustrated, I was miserable. I wasn't being as creative as I knew God wanted to be. My last job as a news director was at a large FM station and I was doing about two minutes of news an hour, and that was it. That's what all of those years of broadcasting and investigative reporter had come to, reporting had come to, because the business was changing so much, and they weren't looking for uh, in-depth coverage. They were looking really for live shots, um, you know, outside a burning home or along the freeway in the snow. You know, as if it's news in Michigan that it snows in January. I, I just really think that's interesting. I got a kick out of you folks down here. Two inches of snow in the world ends. That's a holiday where I'm from. 
So Live Your Passion really is, is about walking people through the steps to really discover deep down what you know you want to do, what you're feeling called to do, and having enough faith to step out and do it gradually. Live with instruction, and then also um, the chapter Live with Understanding are two very important things because I found in my own reversion back to the church, I thought I knew an awful lot, and I knew virtually nothing except the basics of the faith. I knew, uh, obviously, the sacraments. I was educated by um, nuns in grade school, and they did teach the basics of the faith, the sacraments, well. But in terms of the church teachings about marriage, about life, about women, no clue. And yet, I had formulated all these opinions and basically bought into the lies that my own industry was selling to the public about pro-choice, reproductive rights, and I was very much into the feminist movement in college before God got a hold of me. He has such a sense of humor. I mean, if you would have told me 25 years ago that I'd be doing what I would be doing now, I would have told you you were a few sandwiches short of a picnic. Never even heard of Catholic Radio. Barely heard of Mother Angelica and EWTN. You know, God always has a last laugh, but it's always the best plan for us. But these two chapters are really important to me because in living with understanding and living with instruction, I'm telling people, look, in order to have a well-formed opinion, it's different than having a, your, your conscience being formed. People mix the, mix the two up, and they think, well, if I have my opinion, it's my opinion, and I have free will, so therefore, if I think it's okay, I can do whatever I want. But what do they do? How do they form those opinions, or how do they form their conscience? They don't look at what the catechism says, be guided by the Holy Spirit and the uh, authoritative teachings of the church, among other things. They usually read an article online, they see a newscast, they get caught up in, in the message that the media overall Hollywood is giving us, and they think, oh yes, this is okay, isn't this wonderful, it's all about freedom. They never stop to think deeply about why the church teaches what she teaches. And so when I first slowly started to make my way, it was like peeling an onion. It was like going through detoxification for me because I was so affected by the culture of which I was a big part that I just had to peel away layer by layer and educate myself. My husband is now a deacon in the Catholic Church, which is just so amazing, our story. We were on the verge of divorce, and we were living the life of Riley. If you looked at us from the outside, you know, we were the it couple. My husband was moving up in his engineering firm. I was a star reporter. We had the money. We had the house. Inside, we never saw each other. Our marriage was falling apart, and we came extremely close. We separated for a short time and came extremely close to divorce. And now you fast forward and look at my life, what I'm doing, and my husband, still um, working professionally full-time, and now serving as a deacon in the Archdiocese of Detroit. How does that happen? Obviously only by the grace of God and the gift of faith, but also I think really looking at yourself and self-examination, which is another thing that I talk about in these two chapters, is we have to look at ourselves and are we really giving the church a chance? I didn't. I still identified myself as a Catholic. I had all these awards that I had won as an investigative reporter, but do you think I ever picked up any of the documents when I had formulated these opinions? And then when I started to read these different documents, a bell went off. And the other thing that affected me was when I started doing some interviews on some legislation that they were trying to pass in Michigan regarding welfare-funded abortions, which were, praise God, outlawed eventually. And way, way, way back then, that's when we still had to get both sides of the story, believe it or not. And I was um, asked to go get the you know, pro-choice side and the pro-life side. 
And so I brought two women, one from NARAL, Pro-Choice America, which is now called, and Right to Life in Michigan, into the studio to do a half-hour uh, talk show debate on this issue regarding welfare-funded abortions. And that was the first time, even though I held very strong pro-choice opinions, that was the first time I heard about the effect of abortion on the baby, obviously, with what the, what the child in the womb goes through, the effect on women, the psychological effect, the information that they don't get at the abortion clinics when they show up. And I was dumbfounded. I had never heard it before. And I felt betrayed by my own industry that either didn't care enough to find out the information or even if they did, put it aside. So things like that in the truth, and oftentimes it wasn't even, let's say, a fellow believer or Catholic or another Christian that would come up to me and say something. It was just God revealing himself to me through the truth of these different issues. And also in, in terms of living with understanding and, and living with instruction, I talk about going back to the basics, going back to scripture and seeing what the Bible has to say to us and, and in Catholic, you know, our Catholic faith, being in union with the church and doing those readings every single day, which is extremely important, I think, for our growth and our relationship with God. And most of the people that I talk to who have a problem with the church teaching are like me. They usually haven't read what the church has to say. They think they know what the church has to say. I speak at women's conferences all over the country, and what I like to do is read quotes, especially from John Paul II and his papal letter to women, and also Mulieris Dignitatum, two of my favorite documents of JP2s. And I will read the quotes without mentioning who they're from. And oftentimes, especially with the papal letter to women, the women in the audience, if, if we do a Q&A, will think it's from someone like a Gloria Steinem or a Betty Friedan, because he's talking about in the papal letter to women especially he is talking about really appreciating women and treating them as equals and he mentions job equality he mentions um, equal pay he mentions better opportunities for women when they want to take off work and raise their children you read this document and it's like a, a, a beautiful true feminist manifesto in terms of new feminism versus you know radical feminism but all of these things that he mentions are many of the things that the feminists fought for and he acknowledges that some of the feminist movement did women a lot of good in terms of in the big early movement, uh, early years of the movement. And so when I started reading these documents, when I started studying scripture, my husband actually came back to the faith through a Protestant Bible study. I realized that these are some of the things that, that have helped me and my husband so much in our growth and our return to the faith and his eventually discerning the diaconate. Real, real basic stuff that we need to get back to. Yeah. And the Ten Commandments, you know, I, I joke in the book and I say it is the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. And I love what uh, Benedict XVI said about the Ten Commandments. He said, you know, the Ten Commandments, it's not a series of no's. It's a series of, of yes, yeses to love and to life. During the election of Pope Francis last year, George Weigel was interviewed quite a bit by, he's a, a consultant for NBC, and I know George, he's on my show quite a bit, and I just find him um, not only just very brilliant, but extremely delightful. And I, I could see, why, no, knowing that I know him, and when I watch him on interviews, I can see when he's about to explode, when he's had it with the, with the secular press and their questions. And he was doing an interview on MSNBC about the election of Pope Francis, and of course, the typical questions come up. When are they going to ordain women? You know, what about the whole marriage issue? What about contraception? What about abortion? And I could see almost like the smoke, you know, coming out of his ears. But in his very eloquent 
you know, in profound way, articulate way, he said, you know, we have to start realizing that when the church says no, it, it is because it always leads us to an elevated yes. You know, the church doesn't have our, our um, bad things in mind for us. It's just the opposite. The church is doing this because the church contains a fullness of truth as given to her by God. And the church says, look, this is the way you're designed. God says this is the way we're designed. But most people don't want to look at it that way. And so really, I think if people take the time and if they're honest with themselves and do a self-examination, which is not easy, they will find the beauty of the church and God willing embrace it. Living the good life and living like you're loved. I'll just briefly go over those two chapters and I want to open it up for um, question and answer. And what I mean by living the good life is enjoying life and also not hiding your own light under a bushel. I start out with uh, the imagery of one of my um, favorite episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond. And if you, you've probably seen that show, right? Everybody Loves Raymond because it's, it's in rerun uh, heaven now. It's all over the place in, on the different uh, cable channels. But one of my favorite episodes is when Marie Barone is being challenged by Deborah, her daughter-in-law, and um, Robert and Raymond and her husband, Frank, to take the plastic off of the furniture and let people actually sit on the furniture and enjoy the furniture, put out the good towels in the bathroom, those kinds of things. And I relate to that so much, being Italian-American and also originally being from the East Coast. My Aunt Jenny, my godmother, in her apartment in Jersey City had all the plastic. I mean, it was like a scene out of my own life. It was like, you know, just incredible. It was like Moonstruck all over again, you know, watching this episode, that movie Moonstruck. And in this episode, she says, okay, I can do it. I can be as relaxed as the next person. And so what does she do? She takes off the plastic cover on the sofa, but stands over Robert, Frank, and Raymond as they're watching a football game and eating chips and drinking soda. And so she's just standing over them, hovering over them. And so they get so nervous, they throw the plastic back on them. And that's pretty much the, the end of the episode. The point being is that not really enjoying the moment and living in the moment, that what we have and what God has given us is meant to be enjoyed now within moderation and reason, of course, but I find a lot of people don't do that. I find a lot of people, you know, withhold true joy. And so that's what I walk through in that chapter. And, and what does it mean? I talk about, um, you know, not, oh, use the good china. You don't have to wait till Christmas or, or Easter. And, and these simple things and these enjoyments in life, we need to embrace on a regular basis because everything that's good comes from God and there's nothing wrong with understanding this and enjoying life, as I said, in moderation. So I walk people through that. And then my final chapter is something that I wrote, I think, when I, when I was finishing this, is about the women I've encountered, um, not only myself, uh, women my age, I'm in my early 50s, but when I go around the country and speak at women's conferences, over and over and over again, I meet women who are struggling with self-esteem, who are lost, who are broken. They've been objectified by the culture, uh, many women my age are, are post-abortive and have not dealt with that. They are struggling with the ravages of an over-sexualized culture. Uh, there's a lot of damage. There's a lot of walking wounded out there. And the self-esteem in women is just so low. And what women are going through in terms of not, and men are going through a lot too, but I speak at a lot of women's conferences, so that's why I share this with you. And they can't believe that God could love them and love them as much as he really does. 
And so that's why I ended the book in Live Like You're Loved. If we can embrace that, if we can really embrace what happened on Calvary and the gift that we have in Christ and the church and the Eucharist and, you know, the, the beautiful traditions and the saints and this incredible, incredible church that we have. I say it's like the old, you know, Prego spaghetti sauce commercial. It's all in there. Everything's in there. And it's really, really good, except that's the only time I would ever recommend a bottled spaghetti sauce because otherwise I'd be excommunicated. But if we could just get that, he has given us so much. Just start with that one point. You are loved. You are not garbage. God does not make junk. And I could see the tears from women when I tell them that. And I usually start out my presentations with all these images of God that we have of Jesus and the divine mercy in the sacred heart, the image of the shroud. To have them just look at the face of Christ as it's been given to us over the centuries and look at him to understand that it's nothing but pure love and that they are beautiful and loved because they are. And just getting that message across is profound for so many people because they feel like they've been used and tossed aside, unappreciated. And so I wanted to end on a very, very positive note. You are loved. And so I take them through my own journey and I take them back to one of my favorite places on the planet outside of Italy, which is my absolute favorite place in the world, Israel. I've been to Holy Land, the Holy Land many times. And many people say, oh, what's your favorite church in, in the Holy Land? And they expect me to say the Holy Sepulcher you know, or one of the large um, basilicas there. And I say, no, it's a little church of the primacy of Peter on the seashore of Galilee. It's so tiny. It's just this little stone church. And yet that is where Jesus said to Peter, when he made them breakfast after uh, the resurrection. And when Peter jumps in the boat and, and runs toward the, jumps into the water because he realizes it's the Lord. And he's sitting there talking to him and gives him a chance to rectify the three denials that he gave, you know, in Jerusalem the night before the crucifixion. And he asked him three times again on that seashore, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And that's when Peter recognizes the forgiveness and that God loved him enough to put him in charge and be the keeper of the keys to the church. So to live like your love, to know who Jesus is and what he did for you on the cross, to help people walk away with that. If they walk away with anything, that's what I hope I leave them with. But, but the bottom line is, because I've made um, so many stupid mistakes in my life, most of the suffering, and that's another big chapter I have in there about living in the Mass, about growing from suffering, turning your uh, misery into a ministry. I, I'm just I'm glad I always joke around with God in my prayer and with my spiritual director. Boy, it's great that I've made so many stupid mistakes, so I just keep writing because I made so many mistakes in my life, so I have so much material to work with. I never want to make people feel like I'm judging them. Um, I always want to make people understand that uh, maybe I haven't experienced exactly what they've experienced, but I've had some real, real downtimes and real struggles, and there is a way out, and that way out is through the church. So that's what the book is about, God's bucket list and turning to God and understanding he has a plan, and his plan is always the best plan. And I'm happy to be here and answer any questions now. Thank you very much. Oh, and I have a whole resource section in the book, too, because I always want to give people resources. I have suggested Bible studies, different websites, different news sites that I use. So I always try to leave you with no excuses. It's like you read this book, and you have all the information you need to know to go forward and, and make a difference, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. So, yes? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Sure, I think um, there's a lot of really good Catholic Bible studies out there now, um, and I'm sure there's got to be um, several different ones in this area as well. But for many years, my husband and I first were in a uh, Protestant Bible study because there weren't any Catholic Bible studies or the ones that I thought were really any good um, or really kept my interest. So we were in BSF Bible Study Fellowship, and it was, it was fine in terms of introducing us to Scripture, but you don't get the sacraments, and you don't get you know, the, the, the Eucharist, obviously, and, and the saints and whatnot, and, and the uh, Marian teachings. Um, I highly recommend Catholic Scripture Study International. I think it's one of the best out there. Uh, Gail Buckley, who runs the program, is on my show at least once a week. And the contributors to that series are uh, Scott Hahn, uh, Steve Ray, but it's it's a very doable series. If you're not that familiar with Scripture, it's really one-stop shopping. Everything is laid out. You join at a at a parish. You ha do have to join at a group level, but they have a video, and then they give you homework, and you take that home and you answer questions. But it's it's very doable, even if you haven't had a lot of exposure to the Bible. But I think the best thing that we can do is to take advantage of the devotionals that are out there. Um, for example, I, I love the Magnificat, and that's very easy to follow. And, and they have morning prayer, uh, and they have obviously the, the readings of the daily mass, and they have evening prayer, and they have great reflections from the saints or other teachers of the church. So you get a proper interpretation of Scripture and a, and a reflection from the church. And it's very easy. When you're reading, doing the readings, you are in union with the universal church, which is great. But there's, there's a ton of them now. We have uh, the Word Among Us, which is very good, um, Living Faith. Word Among Us, my husband, my husband and I actually do that every morning. When we came back to the church, we got into a habit of reading Scripture every day. And it means a lot to us to be able to sit down as a couple every morning and read Scripture together. And I just think it's funny because I sometimes say to God, okay, you move that reading around purposely because it addresses your, you'll find that it addresses your situation that you're going through, but that's how Scripture is. It's, you know, it's alive, but say Magnificat, Word Among Us, and think about entering a, a Bible study. It, and you'll make a lot of new friends, too. And actually, I have some of those resources in here for you in the back of the book. Yes, sir. I actually walk through that in the book. I think you, you have to um, really continue to pray, and then God will give you um, affirmations as to whether you're going in the right direction. For example, in my case, I really struggled with, well, is this a call from God, or is this something else just trying to get, get me out of, the, you know, out of the secular media? And I really thought it was quite an odd thing because, again, I didn't know how to do anything else, or so I thought. I didn't realize how well he had, had qualified me to do what I'm doing now. And being a reporter growing up as a journalist, you know, I had to do a lot of research. I had to know a lot about, you know, when I went out and covered a story. And it helps me now as a talk show host to have that background. But what will happen is doors will open, other doors will close. People will come up to you uh, and, and affirm maybe something you're praying about. My husband, for example, was at first approached in the Holy Land by a deacon who was with us. And this was years before he even discerned the diaconate. And he said to Deacon Jean, who's uh, passed away a few years ago, said to my husband, I think um, something tells me, the Holy Spirit tells me you're being called to the diaconate. And then he prayed about it, and then two, three, three or four people would come up to him over the few years before. But he's an engineer, so, you know, he has the, um, as he says, the 
paralysis of analysis. He um, takes five years to buy a shirt, I always tease him. But, but what will happen is, again, people will come up, there'll be other things that will affirm, and also you will know. Well, the only thing I could say is when I made that decision to leave the secular media and say, okay, you know, because I had this tug of war with God, I had one foot in the secular world and one foot in the Catholic world, and when I finally let go, there was such a peace, and almost immediately when I let go of that position, I was offered a talk show at the local evangelical station in Detroit where the program director, unbeknownst to me, was entering the Catholic Church and gave me that job and it put me back on the air and exposed me to the Christian community before Catholic Radio was, was started in Detroit. And then Al Cresta came along, um, who was working on a newspaper called Credo with Tom Monahan, and then they developed Catholic Radio. And so those two years on the air at that evangelical station as a talk show host gave me great background and prep to go right into Catholic Radio and start my own show. So I, I think really praying about it. Um, and also, if you're in spiritual direction, that's very helpful. Um, the spiritual director can, can give you some, um, some input. But prayer, discernment, uh, messages from other people, affirmations and in, in things that are happening, and you'll see the steps coming. But there's a whole process that actually I, I walk people through. And there's actually some programs that you can, you can actually enter into and take in order to help you with that process. And I have one of those examples in the book. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Actually, I think it's very possible. As a matter of fact, before I came here tonight, I did an interview with um, Al Cresta uh, at my station. He is on in the evenings on Ave Maria Radio and EWTN, and my show is the morning show for um, my network, which produces my show, Ave Maria, and it's syndicated through WTN as well. And we were talking about the tide is starting to turn. I don't know if you got caught any of the coverage, but I have never seen so much coverage on the March for Life as I have this year. You would think it would have been last year because it was the 40th anniversary of the decision. This year was the 40th anniversary of the actual March, but CNN, uh, Fox News, which is, is more balanced than others, never really did a lot on the march, and it was always a disappointment to me, because I thought if anybody would understand, it would be that network, because they, they have a lot of ca good Catholics, not O'Reilly, he needs to go through RCIA, still praying for him, but we'll talk about that later. But there are a lot of Catholics inside, and the, um, uh, one of the executives is a very strong Catholic, uh, Michael Clemente, and they have gradually increased it, but they had incredible coverage. They had, they had a, uh, a beautiful commentary from Brit Hume, Brett Barr had a, had a table, a roundtable discussion on it. Megan Kelly did a huge story on it last night. Um, Sean Hannity did a whole thing on Planned Parenthood, tying it in with the March for Life and tying it in with the money that Planned Parenthood gets. And then I saw it on CNN, and I was even watching the local news in my hotel room, and I was shocked. So, yes, I think it is possible, but I think here's what we have to do, and I talk about this in the book as well. There has to be more of a, of a media outreach, and what I mean by that is... For example, Jeannie Monahan, who took over the March for Life, has a whole new outreach to the media. What she's doing is they've increased their social media outreach. Um, they are really trying to get more interviews on a regular basis. They've hired a, a very um, prominent, with the money that Nellie left the organization, a very prominent PR media training firm. And they've been pretty darn um, successful. And I think something is happening because we've been persistent. We keep doing what we're doing, and I think they don't know quite what to do with us, especially this time around when it was just so unbelievably cold, hello, um, that these people still come out. I think they expected to see maybe a 1,000 people versus what we normally have, 
And the fact that, you know, it obviously it was a little smaller because some of the bus trips from various dioceses around the country, they got canceled because of the weather. But it was still a huge turnout yesterday. So is it possible? Yes. Is it still, uh, is there still a huge influence? But yes, but I think it's ignorance. Knowing, having been in newsrooms as long as I have, they are around people who all share the same opinion. Now that shouldn't matter in a perfect world, but their worldview is totally different than ours. But I think because of, for example, the Gosnell case, I think because of Wendy Davis, who's now being exposed to have lied about her, some, her background and some other issues, and the fact that this whole situation with the HHS mandate and then Obama administration going after the nuns, the Little Sisters of the Poor, the picture that I saw with the headline of, on one of the um, websites in one of the major news organizations was comical because it said, administration says nuns a threat to Obamacare, and you have this adorable picture of these elderly nuns taking care of these people. One nun singing on the guitar, oh, they're just such a threat. Run for your lives, you know, that kind of a thing. So, but it has to be a consistent effort and outreach. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, it, it drives me crazy when they say, oh, well, we don't cover it because it happens every year. So does Fourth of July, so is a Thanksgiving Day Parade, so does tax filing day, and you cover it ad nauseum. Don't give me that. I mean, seriously, somebody tried to sell that to me, and I said, do I look like a kid in short pants? I mean, what do you think I've, I've done for, for 30 years? But it has to be persistent, and a persistent outreach. And what's really frustrating, especially for me because I'm 100% Italian, is you have to be nice. There are times when I want to scream and say, what the heck? But, you know, you catch more flies with honey. And I talked about it on the radio today. I said, I'm always telling people to call them when you don't like something, but also to call them when you like something. So is it possible? Yes. Is it tough? Yes. But I think it is possible. And I think it's starting, slowly starting to change. Any other questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one, that was, and that's a great point, because that's what I struggled with, because you know, I started out the presentation tonight saying I thought I was going to be you know, a light in the newsroom, not that I was some holier-than-thou thing, but I thought the last thing newsrooms need are, are, are fewer Christians, and, and not just because obviously witnessing to them is, is really important, but because every single day in every newsroom in this country, they sit down in the morning and they have what we call editorial meetings where they decide what stories they're going to cover. And if they're going to cover a story on Christianity in general, or on the marriage issue, or the life issues, or the church, or Pope Francis, if they don't have someone who understands the faith in that newsroom, that story is not going to get covered properly or accurately. And so I was thinking that I was abandoning the newsroom, that I should have stayed to make a difference and to help foster at least you know, some, some better understanding of faith issues. So I really struggled with that for a while. Um, but I realized that I was not doing my best work there anymore. They, as my husband used to tell me, hon, they're not you know, buying what you're selling, which was trying to do decent reporting, not even all the time investigative reporting, which I did a lot of, but they didn't want, they just wanted car crashes and murders and sensationalism and weather stories. And I'm sorry, I didn't bust my butt four years in J school, just stand by you know, on, on the freeway until people don't come out because it's snowing outside. And that's what my career had turned into. And then in the very end, it was two minutes of news an hour compared to um, you know earlier in my career when I was doing some really groundbreaking stuff. But God will lead you in that direction. But that's a challenge you're going to have to go through. But it takes time. And as I said, I didn't do it overnight. It took me uh, up to three years to really figure out and, and to really be willing to walk away from it. So it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, but that's something that you really have to pray about 
and you'll feel the sense of peace in your heart. I knew when I left, even though I didn't have a paycheck coming in, I was, I was never more at peace in my life. I just knew I was doing the right thing. I didn't know it was ahead. I had some idea that I would be doing some writing and doing some public relations work, and I knew I could you know, earn a paycheck because I was a qualified communicator. Uh, but I didn't know in terms of the big picture what God had intended for me. So, But it takes time. Any other questions? Thank you. Oh, and if you want to um, listen to me, I'm carried on. The, our local affiliate here is WMET. And my show is on from 9 to 10 here in D.C. and across the country. We're on oh, close to 300 affiliates now across the U.S. And we're also on Sirius XM as well. So 9 a.m. Catholic Connection with CC with TT. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>